NFL head coach broke the unwritten rule of coaching. A baseball team took an interesting turn into a rebuild, and the NBA has tried to put the clamps on NBA players and agents. This is the Rival Fantasy Sports Podcast. Let's talk about it. You are now listening to the Rival Fantasy Sports Podcast. Let's go. What up and welcome to the Rival Fantasy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Neil Maligno. I appreciate you for joining me as always. You guys know the drill. We cover the three hottest topics in sports. I love your interaction. I appreciate you guys dropping your comments, your thoughts, your opinions, everything here in the comments on YouTube. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. A lot of the viewers have not subscribed. You guys watch, you comment, you like it, but you forget to hit the subscribe button. So make sure you do that. The other way we really appreciate your support is if you share us out there on Twitter, social shares with your friend, your grandma, your uncle, your coworker. It doesn't matter. Everyone loves sports. Let's chop it up together. And of course, this podcast is brought to you by the Rival Fantasy Sports app. You can get on there and play the best DFS fantasy games around, whether it's challenges, fantasy bingo. That's right. I said fantasy bingo. If you never heard of it, get in there. Fantasy book and season-long fantasy football will be there as well. So get in there and check it out. Other than that, guys, we got three topics today, one in the NBA, one in the NFL, one in Major League Baseball. So we're covering all grounds. We ain't playing around. You guys know I try to find the hottest topics that I like, whether it's funny, entertaining, you know, a statistical thing, a a historical thing, whatever it is, it's trending, it's popping, we're going to talk about it. And of course, we we do it without the fluff, right? We try to get through them, we run through it, we get to it, we get to the important facts, the interesting headlines, the interesting quotes, the videos, we don't waste no time. So let's go ahead and get straight into topic number one. We're going to open the show with the first topic being from the NFL. It's only right since the Pro Football Hall of Fame game is today as of this recording. I don't know when you're watching it, but as of this recording, that game is taking place today. So football is finally here. I know it's just one game and it's the preseason and you're like, Neil, that isn't exciting. We ain't really trying to see those players as much as we try to see our team, you know, full throttle. But it's still football. We still got to be excited and happy about it. We got to be grateful that it's back. But one thing that is very interesting to talk about is the fact that Sean Payton, new head coach of the Broncos, slammed Nathaniel Hackett, which was the previous head coach last season for the Broncos. Some say he broke an unwritten law, an unwritten rule on how you know coaches should speak to other coaches. Of course, we're going to dive into this because I'm curious your thoughts. But first, it's only right that we do the whole background on what's happening, what's taking place, and why this is all you know started. Well, what I'll do is I'll share this up here first. Ah, let's go more full screen for this one. Um, this is from NFL.com, but it's actually from an article on USA Today with Jared Bell. Everything I heard about last season, we're doing the opposite. Peyton told Jared Bell of USA Today. There's so much dirt around that. There's 20 dirty hands for what was allowed, tolerated in the freaking training rooms, the meeting rooms, the offense. I don't know Hackett. A lot of people had dirt on their hands. It wasn't just Russell. He didn't just flip. He still has it. This is BS that he hit a wall. Shoot. They couldn't get a play in. They were 29th in the league in pre-snap penalties on both sides of the ball. You guys are you guys are seeing uh you know where this is heading, right? Like you guys can tell. Uh these quotes are about to be uh a little crazy. A little a little crazy. There's some more here though. So let's let's bring it back up. Let's bring it back up. That wasn't his fault. That was the parents who allowed it. That's not an incrimination on him, but an incrimination on the head coach, the GM, the president, and everybody else who watched it happen. Everybody's got a little stink on their hands. It's not just Russell. It was a poor offensive line. It might have been one of the worst coaching jobs in the history of the NFL. 
it might have been one of the worst coaching jobs in the history of the NFL. Come on. Seriously? Who does this? One more thing. It doesn't happen often where an NFL team or organization gets embarrassed, and that happened here. Part of it was their own fault relative to spending so much damn time trying to win the offseason. I threw damn in there. Not sure which uh, curse word expletive he used. The PR, the pomp and circumstances, marching people around and all this stuff. We're not doing any of that. The Jets did that this year. You watch Hard Knocks, all of it. I can see it coming. Remember when former Commanders owner Dan Snyder put that dream team together? I was at the Giants. I was a young coach. I thought, how are we going to compete with this team? Deion Sanders there now. That team won eight games or whatever. So listen, just put the work in. Just put the work in. So if you guys are seeing what's happening here, you're catching the drift, right? Not only is he bashing last year's head coach for the Broncos, which is you know not commonplace, right? Even if you disagree with that, obviously the guy got fired, so things probably didn't go well. They don't typically handle it in that kind of fashion where they're bashing and, you know, saying all these negative comments about the coach, right? Not just saying like things didn't go well here last year, literally naming the guy, saying everything that went wrong. So you can see the, the you know, the, the trend here, right? On top of that is the comments against the Jets. So in line there, not only did he bash Nathaniel Hackett, he also went to attack Nathaniel Hackett's new team, which is the Jets. So I don't know if he attacked, you know, to the Jets just to follow, you know, follow up on knocking Nathaniel Hackett. If it was, you know, against Aaron Aaron Rodgers, I don't know. I mean, he plays them week five, but why single them out now? It's a little odd. It's a little weird. So the only, you know, correlation could be that Nathaniel Hackett now is a coach there, and so he's continuing the attack. Which again. It goes past defending the Broncos. It goes past defending Russell Wilson. You're now just attacking the guy just to, you know, continue to attack the guy. So it doesn't make much sense. It's pure hate. And again, it's not what we typically see when talking about these kind of things. So I just want to share a couple of clips here. We'll watch a couple of videos really quickly on comments made by the Jets head coaches. Well, head coach, Nathaniel Hackett, Aaron Rodgers. We're going to get all of them in here really quick. So let's go ahead and pull these up right now. Let's go uh, full screen a little bit for this one for you here. Let's go ahead and listen to what um, the head coach said. Well, I'm not going to acknowledge Sean on that. Is he? You know, he's been in the league a while. He can say whatever the hell he wants. But, uh, but as far as you know, what we have going on here, it's, um, you know, the. I kind of live by saying, if you ain't got no haters, you ain't popping. So hate away. You know, it's uh, obviously we're doing something right. If you got to talk about us when we don't play you till week four, and I'm good with it. You know, but. Uh, you know, the guys in our locker room, they, they've earned everything. How about that? He said he must be popping. I like it. I like the swagger. I like the uh, conviction there. I, I like what Robert Saleh said here. So this is just kind of an idea. You know, again, he's looking at it like, I don't know what's going on. But if, all I do know is if you ain't got no haters, you ain't popping. So hate away. That's the confidence. That's the, you know, the confidence that they're carrying. Now he has that confidence already, but you can't tell me Aaron Rodgers isn't a big piece of that. Obviously, Aaron Rodgers has brought a lot of confidence to this organization. Now it wasn't just him. It wasn't just him. As I said, we got a couple more uh quick clips to share here from the team. This is actually Nathaniel Hackett himself commenting on, you know, what's taking place. That's how we've lived everywhere I've been. No excuses. So I own all those things. And um, it's it's unfortunate that that had to happen, uh, that the comments that were made. But, hey, they did. I, I'll tell you, I was probably more surprised that they happened now. was definitely expecting them in week five. So I, I'm, I'm almost thankful uh, that we got that, you know, out of the way. <laughs> He's thankful they got it out of the way. But, again, 
And he went on in this to say, you know, he lives in a glass house. That's what coaches do. And again, like he said, he's shocked, surprised. Um, he does mention that there is a code and there's a way things are done in the house. This past week, it's frustrating and it sucks, but we're all susceptible to it. So again, I like this. I like this, you know, pushback from the head coach of the Jets. I mean, again, they took shots at the head coach. I mean, they took shots at the Jets. <laughs> so I love that he spoke up. I love that Nathaniel Hackett spoke up. But that wasn't all that spoke up because besides those two, this man also spoke up. Aaron Rodgers had something to say as well. So let's go ahead and play that. Those comments were very surprising. Um, to, for a coach to do that to another coach. My left hat goes deep. You know, we had uh, some great years together in Green Bay. Captain Touch. Um, love him and his family. He's an incredible family man, incredible dad. And on the field, you know, he's arguably my favorite coach I've ever had in the NFL. Mm -hmm. Just his approach to it, how he makes it fun, uh, how he cares about the guys, uh, just how he goes about his business with respect, with leadership, with honesty, with integrity. And it made me feel bad that someone who's accomplished a lot in the league is that insecure that they have to take another man down to set themselves up for some sort of easy fall if it doesn't go well. I love this. I love that Aaron Rodgers spoke up. I love that Robert spoke up, not just Nathaniel Hackett having to defend himself. So I don't know if Peyton is trying to rally the troops, if you will, you know, put the Broncos in the headlines, et cetera, get his guys amped up and excited. I don't know if that's the case or if he's still in the pressure of being the weakest team in the AFC West, because that's exactly what they are. I don't know if he's trying to establish himself as a top tier coach, you know, put 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 his name up there in the conversations because again, he's with the Broncos. They're not talked about as much. It just is what it is, unless it's in a negative way. So maybe he's pushing back in some form. No clue. I just don't like this approach in terms of um a, a, you know, trashing the former staff, trashing the former coaches. You can say a team didn't have the type of success you wanted or that you expected or that they needed. And so that's why you're here to try to, you know, to try to fix things. You got to kind of be a little humble about it. Um, I don't think it's you know, the, the way to approach it is to trash a coach, you know, bring this type of heat onto your team. I, I think that the players have to wear that now. You know what I mean? They're going to be asked questions about it or they're going to have to see it on social media. And so I don't think it's a good approach. You know, we'll see if it works for them. We'll see if he's able to uh, get these guys excited and, you know, it does amp them up and it does, you know, put some confidence in Russell Wilson. Maybe, maybe he feels like the team lost confidence after last season and that, you know, him behaving this way and talking this way will kind of, you know, bring that back, bring them back to what he thinks they should be. You know, I don't know. We'll see if it works, right? We'll find out very quickly if this type of, you know, noise works for the team. I will say this. The irony is he knocks the Jets right? He knocks the Jets, talks about hard knocks and, you know, the Aaron, Aaron Rodgers, you know, signing and all this noise that they're making. Meanwhile, he's doing the same exact thing with the Broncos by running his mouth, but like in a negative way, right? Like no one's putting a target on the Jets back because they're going to be on hard, hard knocks. No one's putting a target on their back because they signed Aaron Rodgers, right? Like these are just basic things. There's nothing, there's no outliers to this. It's not like some, you know, braggadocious, you know, crazy thing that they're doing that they're like, you know, sign Aaron Rodgers or, you know, being on hard knocks. So what he's doing is a little more negative though, right? Like the way he's attacking them, the way he's attacking the former head coach, like that's frowned upon probably not just by people in the league, but from by fans. 
I'm curious if Bronco fans are appreciating the approach. I'm, I, I want, if you're a Bronco fan and you're watching this right now, drop it in the comments if you or just Bronco fans in general are happy with the approach that Sean, you know, Sean Payton has taken. I think that he ends up on the, on the bad side of this result-wise. I think that the Jets come out looking good. Hence why I don't like when head coaches do this, right? I just don't think that you should talk about other teams that way, other coaches that way. You know, if you're playing them that week, it's okay to, you know, kind of give them headlines a little bit if you want. I mean, I think it motivates the team. I really wouldn't encourage it at all. But when a coach comes in and he takes over a team, I don't like the whole putting blame on certain players, coaches, or anything for the previous, you know, performance of that team before you arrived. I think it's better to just leave it alone. Just leave it alone. Talk about, hey, it's a new year. We're looking forward to the future. We're not looking backwards. I don't care about none of that. This is a new regiment, a new team, a new situation, a new culture we're building here. I don't care about talking about the past. He's doing the exact opposite of that. Again, I'm curious your thoughts. Whether you're a Broncos fan or not, I'm curious your thoughts. Would you prefer your team's head coach, the new head coach, no less, to take this kind of approach? Or would you prefer them to be a little more humble about it? E even if they feel that way, you don't have to always have to say how you feel, right? Like sometimes it's better to just keep those thoughts to yourself, keep it in-house, you know, even if that's been discussed in-house, right? Like even if he's spoken that way to Russell Wilson, spoken to the team like that in team meetings, you don't have to go to the media with it. Because again, you try to knock off, cancel out as much as you can in, in terms of, you know, the pressure put on by social media, put on from the media and the headlines, the papers, the podcast, TV, YouTube shows. The less of that, the better for your players. Whether people want to admit it or not, players are watching those things, they're reading those things, and they are being affected by it for the most part. So why put that added pressure on team? So I personally am not a fan of this at all. But again, I love continuing the conversation in the comments, continuing the conversation on social media. So whether you're watching on YouTube right now or if you're listening on a podcast uh, platform and you want to just hit me up on social, at Rival Fantasy on any of the platforms, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all those good things. If not, again, YouTube comments, my favorite place to continue the conversation. Let me know, Bronco fan or not Bronco fan, would you you know, prefer your coach to take this approach or would you rather not? That is it. That's all I have for this topic. Sean Payton out here breaking all the unwritten rules. I will not. Let's go ahead and move on to topic number two. The New York Mets took an interesting approach to the season in the offseason, threw tons of money everywhere, signed big name free agents, took this approach where, hey, we got a new owner. We're going all in. And I'm talking about they had one of the highest payrolls in baseball. They were just going crazy, which we know causes a lot of haters. And obviously get your fans excited. We also know from the history of it in the past, it doesn't always work out. And when it doesn't work out, those haters get really loud. Those fans get really mad. <laughs> so it's a, it's this weird gift and a curse type of situation when you spend a lot of money as a, as a team and whether you win or lose, right? In any case, when you win, fans are happy and haters are haters. When you spend money, a lot of money, and you lose at something, then the haters are really loud. Then the fans are really annoyed because now they're really bummed out because they had such high hopes. They had such high expectations. The Mets failed to live up to those expectations, right? The New York Mets, they threw all that money around. They still failed at their goal, which was building a World Series contender. Now they flipped the script. They sent some big names back in order to rebuild the farm system, replenish the youth on the team, give themselves a better future outlook, a longer a longer run is what they're looking for. A longer run. If they're looking for Super Bowl, uh, not Super Bowls. If they're looking for World Series, they want a longer run at it, right? With the players they had, they felt like, hey, we had a one-year, two-year window. 
We get rid of those players. We get younger players in. We build the farm system up. We build the prospects up. Now we have a window, but we feel like it's a longer run. And so, you know, that's the, that's the view that they took, the, the approach they took. Now let's look at, you know, what they did in a kind of uh, digestible form rather than look, because they did a lot of trading. Let's kind of look at it, you know, in, in, in an easy way to kind of digest all of it, since this would be the easiest way to do it. All right. So the Mets decided to do this, right? They traded a ton of players and they got back even more players, right? Now let's keep it there. All right, so they they they're receiving Luis Angel Acuna, Drew Gilbert, Ryan Clifford, Marco Vargas, Justin Jarvis, Ronald Hernandez, Jeremy Rodriguez, Jeremiah Jackson, Phil Bickford, Adam Kalerick, leaving. These are going to be the names you're more familiar with: Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer, David Robertson, Mark Kana, Tommy Pham, Dominic Leone. Money, 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 and more money. Why do you say that, Neil? Why do you mention money? What is the money thing about? The reason I mentioned money going out for the Mets is that in normal situations, you're portrayed on player for player. Sometimes there's cast considerations involved. You know, you're, you know, it's not, it's not usually groundbreaking, earth shattering type stuff, right? In this case, it is. <laughs> in this case, it's very interesting what the Mets did financially in these trades. This tweet from Front Office Sports, the Mets are now paying former players over $150 million. That would rank 17th among 2023 MLB payrolls. You heard that. They're paying former players. That list I just showed you of the players who left, the Mets are paying them still. So the Mets are pay playing on their roster 153.2 million. What their Mets are playing, not on their roster, 151.8. This is crazy, right? So this, this is why this is an interesting topic because the Mets traded these players, but in order to get very good prospects, top of the line prospects from teams, farm systems, they had to pay the salaries of a lot of these players they traded out. So Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer, they, they threw tens of millions of dollars in those deals to make this happen. Typically, as you're familiar with, in Major League Baseball, you trade a player, or in a lot of sports, basically, you trade a player with a high salary, you don't really get much back. Because you're looking at it as we're dumping salary, you're you know helping us with that, you're alleviating that salary for us, and so we don't really take much back. We just want you to take the salary. That's the goal. Well, the Mets took an interesting approach, and in we're trading the player, this ace, right, this elite player. We're trading him to you. It has a fat salary along with it. We'll pay that salary. We'll pay a good majority of that salary. You can keep him. All we want is one of your best prospects, and the teams took it. Because those teams are looking at it as, hey, we're trying to compete for a World Series right now. We're trying to win right now. So you can have the prospect who may or may not pan out. You can take that prospect. You can pay the salary of the guy you're giving us, and we'll use his skills over here to try to win a World Series. You don't see it a lot because most teams aren't willing to do that, right? Most teams aren't willing to take on that burden of you know, paying the salary along with trading the player. It's not a typical approach. It's very interesting. It's very different. I like it though. I like it. Let's see. I have some, uh, you know, some other quotes and stuff here from the Mets owner. And I'm um, curious, you know, I think it's worth sharing. I think it's, I think it's good stuff. I think it kind of gives a better idea of the approach here, what they're trying to pull off. If you're going to have a 12%, if you're going to have a 12% of getting into the playoffs, those are pretty crummy odds. This is from SNY TV. I wouldn't want to be let putting any money on that. I wouldn't want to bet any money on that. And I don't think anybody else would either. Hope 
is not a strategy. I like that. Hope is not a strategy. A lot of teams do bank on the hope. <laughs> and they probably do stuff for a lot longer than they should have because they're banking on that hope. It keeps them in that that lull of like not winning enough, not losing enough. So you're just kind of in the middle because they keep hoping that this is going to turn around. They keep hoping that they're going to hit those slim odds. And so that's a very, you know, important quote coming from the owner of the Mets. He also said this, the expectations were really high this year. And my guess is next year will be a lot lower. I don't want to roll a team out there. That's going to be embarrassed by that. We're going to be embarrassed by, he says he thinks the Mets will be highly competitive next season. This coming off the back of Max Scherzer going to the Rangers in his meeting saying they said they're not going to be competitive next year. So I said, okay, I'm cool being traded. I'll waive my no trade clause. If you're not going to be competitive, that's what I came here for. Some people were kind of like, you know, Max Scherzer says they told him this. The owner's now saying, hey, we expect to be competitive. We don't want to be not competitive. Think the plan changed. We won't have Max Scherzer. We won't have Justin Verlander. We won't have these other vets that were being, you know, playing productive. We're going younger. So the expectations are a lot lower, at least from the outside organizational people. But we we expect to be highly competitive. So some people are kind of, you know, think that the Mets lie to Max Scherzer to get him out of there, you know, lie to Justin Verlander to get them out of there. I don't know, but I do respect what he's saying. I, I, I The fact that he stay, wants to stay competitive, I think that's why you still have a Pete Alonso, you still have a Francisco Lindor, you still have a few veterans out there. You didn't, they didn't trade everybody, you know, Jeff McNeil. Uh, again, they got a lot of young players that are really coming up, so they're excited about those guys. They're definitely going to need starting pitching. They're definitely still got to sign some players. The, the, those young guys they traded for aren't all going to be ready to like you know make a playoff run instantly, make a World Series run instantly. So they're obviously going to have to make signings. I think they just wanted these guys out of here. Some of them had no trade clauses. They had to you know do what they had to do to get rid of them. And in this case, they 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 created a way to still get young players back. And it's costing them a lot of money, but it's what they did. A unique approach, if you will. Uh, don't want to be a hater. Don't want to, you know, put the bad news out there. But Max Scherzer did give up three runs in the first inning in his Ranger debut. So for Mets fans, I am a Mets fan. So this is a, a you know, a topic more dear to my heart. I don't want to hate on the guy. I'm not hating on him. But this is exactly what he's been doing all season. This is why, you know, the team looked to move on, right? Like, this is kind of the idea. My thing is this, Right. I was never a fan of signing 40-year-old athletes to massive contracts, whether it's the Mets, whether it's NFL, whether it's NBA. It's not my thing. Same thing when, you know, the idea of Tom Brady, you know, to be a Raiders quarterback, not my thing. Not hating on the players. They're obviously elite. They're obviously very good. That's why they're, you know, getting these fat contracts, and that's why, you know, people want them, but it's just not my preferred uh, approach. It's not the way I want to build a team, right? The Mets realized at the deadline that they failed, at their their process here right their idea of throwing money at a bunch of you know vets mixing in with their team getting all this to work it didn't plan it didn't pan out right they 100 percent bailed on that i respect it i seen someone mention it i forget who it was i think it was on twitter but i appreciate that they committed just as equally to this rebuild the same way they are throwing money all around signing all these vets chase a world series they are now equally committed to replenish the team with youth give them a longer stretch to compete and, you know, to try to get a world series in a bigger window in another way. Again, 
They felt they had like a one, two year window with Verlander, Scherzer, all these guys. Now they feel like, hey, if we can get this team still to be competitive, get them younger, replenish the farm system. We can do this longer, four year window, five year window, six year window. Who knows? So that's the goal. But I respect that the way they went all in, throwing money around, signing contracts, are doing the same thing to rebuild. Too many teams hold on way too long to the way that isn't working. So I won't knock this approach because I'm a fan of teams who have, and I've watched teams do it. We, we all see it happen where they're like that middle of the road team. They don't get early draft picks. They don't win world series. They don't get early draft picks. They don't win NBA championships. They're just like in the middle floating around. And that's not the position you want to be. You either want to be really good, really elite, top five team, top four team, top three team, or you want to be really bad to get that rebuild going, get the tire draft picks, that kind of stuff. Get that rebuild going. The Mets are in this place where they can kind of do both. They have young players. They just did a situation to get a whole bunch of young players, but they got all the money in the world. The owner doesn't mind spending it. So they're a very unique situation. Most major league baseball teams cannot or would not make this approach. But I am curious, as always, your thoughts. Drop them in the comments. If you like what the Mets did, I want to hear it. If you hate what they did, you would never want your team to take that approach. Let me hear it. Or if you're just enjoying watching the Mets struggle, right? Because everyone loves to see a team that spent a bunch of money, spent all the bread on their championship hopes, and then failed. No one loves to see that more. And sports fans love it. So if you're just sitting back watching the Mets lose, fall apart, if you will, watching them fall apart and you're enjoying it, put that in the comments too. I want to hear it. I want to hear from you. Drop it in the comments. Let's continue the conversation down there. Those are all valid, you know, point of views to take. You know, they're not, it's not crazy. It's not a crazy approach. So I, I, I get it. I get it. That's how you feel. <laughs> That's it on the Mets. Let's go ahead and jump into topic number three. The NBA is clamping down on players and agents who try to control trade outcomes by claiming they are only willing to play for one team. The NBA has had enough. They put out a memo to all the teams. This article explains everything. So let's go to this article from ESPN. Uh, so it says here, uh, the NBA sends out a memo to all 30 teams stating that any player or his agent who makes public or private comments indicating he won't fully perform the service called for under his player contract in the event of a trade will be subject to discipline. The memo, which was obtained by ESPN, said the league had interviewed Lillard and Goodwin following ESPN's uh, report earlier this month that Goodwin called other teams and warned them against trading for Lillard because he would be unhappy anywhere but Miami. They also stated that multiple outlets that his client wanted to play only for the Heat. The NBA said the memo that Goodwin denied stating or indicate to any team that literally would refuse to play for them. It went on to say that relevant teams provided descriptions of their communication with Goodwin that were mostly, though not entirely consistent with Goodwin's statements to us. Lillard and Goodwin told the NBA it would fill his contract regardless of where he was traded. We talked about this already. We've talked about Lillard, the Blazers, Harden, the Sixers, I've talked about my support for teams taking back control in these situations by doing what the Blazers are doing, dragging it out, right? They get the best assets back in return. That's what they're doing. I'm all for it. I'm also in support of the players. I have no issue with Dame requesting a trade to get the hell out of town, get the hell out of Portland, especially in a player like Dame's position where he's given them his whole career. We're talking about 10 plus years of Dame 
in Portland. They never got it right. They never got him to an NBA championship. So I'm not mad at a player requesting that trade. Obviously, we have to remember that those players who are requesting trades signed a contract. Therefore, responsibility does fall on them, right? We can't negate them of any responsibility. I know some people love taking that position. Well, NBA teams, you know, they'll get rid of you when they're done with you, no matter what contract you sign. Yeah, but you, I mean, you get traded to another team and you, the contract still exists. It's not like, you know, that's not happening. They will, you know, if you don't have guaranteed contracts, that kind of stuff, teams will do stuff like that. I'm not like caping for the teams. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying that he did sign a contract. Unfortunately, the Blazers can hold him to that contract. This is the way business works. And so I don't mind the NBA team having the power that they have or any team having the power that they have in any sport. I just don't like when players try to limit the upside of the return that the team can acquire in trading them. I don't mind him requesting a trade. I don't mind the team giving into that trade request. That's that's the right thing to do. If the player doesn't want to be there, why would you want the unhappy player there? So I'm all for trading the player. I just don't like saying, hey, I'm only going to one team. So I'm going to put that out there. I'm going to let everybody know. And this way, when you get back on a trade, it'll be much more limited than what you could get because I'm I'm make, I'm tying your hands. I'm making it so you can only get so much. I don't like that. And I discussed that before on the show. You can go back and see the old episode. I talked all about it. I don't like when teams do that. Obviously, this is also why it's important for players to get no trade clauses in their contract. Not, not because... A, the team can't just trade you then, right? That that limits some of the team's power. They also give the power to the player in some sort of way, shape, or form to dictate the landing spot. So in this situation, if Dame had a no trade clause, he could say, I don't want to go to this team, I don't want to go to that team, I don't want to go to this team. So at least he could try to narrow it down some, right? Or you know, make it sort of specific. I mean, that's in your contract. That's in your contract, right? So again, just like I take side of the teams in certain situations, Business is business. The team signed a contract with the player with a no trade clause. He could do whatever he feels when it comes to trades. He has that in his contract. So again, it's just very specific. It's very, you know, business decision-making. I don't like when either person hurts the business outlook opportunity of the other person. I don't want the team to deny the trade request. I don't want the team to, you know, not fulfill what the player is asking for. At the same time, I don't want the player to hurt the team and not allow them to get proper return on giving you up on letting you go to where you want to go. So some people are taking, you know, the NBA side on this. Some people are taking the player side. Some people are like, who the hell does the NBA think they are? Other people are like, who the hell does Dame think he is? I get both sides of it, but I land more in the middle, a more logical approach to this. Let the player get the trade that he wants in terms of he wants to get traded, let him get traded. Don't limit the team to where they could trade you. Unless you have a no trade clause set in place and you can control that, that's fine. The team obviously has, you know, guarantees in place for you that protects the player for the money they're getting, all that kind of stuff. Everybody just has to do what they can to protect themselves. I'm not on the side of the NBA teams. I'm not on the side of Dame. I'm in the middle where both should get what they want and need in the situation. Both should leave happy. But the Blazers have had 10 plus years to figure it out with Damon. They haven't. And I'm not, not by any means saying that, you know, winning an NBA championship is easy. But if you care about the player so much and you like the player so much, this is where you can't mess that up. It's kind of about the last topic we talked about with the Mets. I want to say it was Mark Connor when asked, you know, did you expect these trades to happen? He said, we should have played better. We should have won more games if we didn't want this to happen. 
The same thing can be said in Dame's situation, right? If the Blazers didn't want him to request a trade, they should have won more games. They should have better built that team around him. It's the same situation. That just is what it is. He signed the deal in good faith. He thought the team would do what they said they would do. He thought he would get himself to a you know championship contending team, and they did it. And so it's okay to want to leave. It's okay to want to get out of a situation. Just do it the right way. Don't make it messy. Don't make the divorce messy. Don't don't get the kids involved. Don't hurt everybody else. Don't don't burn the path as you go. Keep it clean. Keep it classy. Keep it grown. Keep it mature. The NBA teams and the players should be able to do that as well. But I'm curious what you think. You think the NBA is going too far here? Do you think their reach is a little too far? Do you think they're they're you know pushing their limits here, their boundaries? Or do you think that you know it's totally right that they have to protect these teams because the players are getting out of control? They're requesting too much, they're demanding too much. Again, I can see both sides of it, right? So when we're down there having this conversation in the comments, I can understand either side. I just lie more in the contract, the business. It is what it is. This is the way it works. If you want to protect yourself, do the things to protect yourself. But don't limit other people's opportunities. Just like the Blazers shouldn't limit Dane's opportunity to go play somewhere else, he shouldn't limit their opportunity to get the most out of him in a deal. To me, that makes sense. That's fair on both sides. Let us know in the comments. We can continue the conversation there. I I want to know what you guys think. I've seen some passionate takes on it. I'm really curious. I'm really curious how you guys feel about it. Before we go... I do want to share one other thing with you guys. You know, it's very important and that's rival fantasy, rival fantasy, the platform that we are here on rival fantasy sports is why this podcast is here. Why this show is here, why you're watching or listening. They have a platform that you can go to right now. You hit the link in the description. You will get a up to $200 deposit match. You will not find that anywhere else in fantasy sports up to $200 plus Plus, on top of the $200, you will get a free $25 voucher to play. It doesn't get better than that. So let me go ahead and explain really quick to you what Rival Fantasy has. You've made it this far. You deserve to know about it. This that you're seeing here on the screen is challenges. You pick a player versus player matchup based solely off fantasy points, and you get in there, you pick a side, you pick an amount, you place the bet, somebody else can come along and take this other side. If you have a friend, family member, girlfriend, boyfriend, brother, uncle, sister, coworker, someone on social media, a podcast co-host that you want to debate and argue it, you can actually create your own challenge that you've been arguing about. You can create the challenge yourself, self, go in there, put it together, and then actually send it to that person. You hit continue, you pick the side you want, you put the amount, you place your bet. And once you place your bet, you're at that point able to send it wherever you would like. You copy the link, just drop it right on Twitter or social media. You can share it. You can drop the link in a text message, whatever you feel like. This is also available on desktop and on your phone. So either way, whatever you prefer to play, people have, you know, different comfort levels. Season long is coming right now. You can only do mock drafts, NFL mock drafts for fantasy football. It's a lot of fun. It's awesome. It's an awesome feature. It's an awesome tool. And it gets you familiar with the drafting platform on here. Um, there will be NFL season long leagues on here available for the season starts. So if you have leagues in other places, you can transfer them over to here. It's going to be a very, you know, revolutionary season-long type league. Lots of great fun stuff to come to really, you know, shake up the season-long market. So go check it out. Fantasy Bingo, which is a game that is very new to fantasy users. You basically create a lineup uh, of starting pitchers. This is baseball, for instance. You fill the whole lineup up, or you can actually do uh, NFL, which right now the NFL one is set up for 
uh, week two of preseason. But again, you can get in there now and create the lineup if you'd like. This way you can do what you need to do and get it set up. Fantasy bingo, you play like your traditional bingo. You, you hit four in a corner on our game, five diagonally or down, you know, in a, in a row, any which way across and you win or you can hit the whole card. So there's actually three different ways to win, which is the, which makes this the coolest game. No other fantasy sports, you know, games are going to give you not one, not two, but three ways to potentially win. So it's a lot of fun. You pick your lineup, you hit on these specific achievements, which is what fills up your bingo card. If you see in the game log here, it'll tell you who hit, who did what in terms of filling in these, you know, these, these squares and then fantasy book, which is a more traditional game that you're probably familiar with over under, but this is based solely off fantasy points. You could pick anything from two players up to five players. Obviously the amount of players you choose, you choose over under on the fantasy points, it'll maximize your payout. So, you know, if you pick five players, you bet $1, you're winning $10. If you only pick two players, you'll win 250. Your amount that you bet also affects that. Bet five on five players, you're winning 50. You bet 10, you're winning 100. You guys catch the drift. You guys catch the drift. All you gotta do is use the link in the description below. Use the link, sign up, and you will get up to $200 match. You can spend 20, 100, 50, 200, whatever you want. We will match it 100% up to that $200. And you'll get a $25 voucher as well to play with. Can't beat the offer. Again, it's Rival Fantasy Sports. You can just go to rivalfantasy.com. Sign up again. The links in the description is the easiest way to do it. If you're listening on our podcast, the links also in the description, <laughs> easiest way. I want to make this as easy as possible for you guys to get to. So that is it for today's show. Again, don't forget, follow us on social media, every platform, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok at rival fantasy. Let me know. You follow us. We'll follow you back. If you want to chop it up in the comments, I live in them. things. You will not leave a comment. And I dare you to try to leave a comment and, and, and not get answered. I promise you. I'm going to respond to that comment. We will respond. <laughs> and don't forget, if you've made it this far, your family, we love you. Please hit subscribe. Please hit subscribe. It does a lot for us and helping grow the platform, grow the community, grow the rival fantasy community. The more people here chopping it up, talking, the more fun this is. That just makes it more fun. It's just the, the truth. So please go ahead and hit subscribe. Share us with your friends, family. Put it out on social media. We appreciate all the love. That is it for today. Also, if you guys have recommendations for topics, the easiest way to do it is social media. So if you follow us on social, hey, Neil, I think you should talk about this topic this week. That'll be on the next show, potentially. We'll also be having more episodes coming out as fantasy football season approaches. We'll have fantasy football dedicated content. So be on the lookout for that. And again, subscribe, turn on the notifications. This way you don't miss an episode. You get it as soon as it drops, especially for the fantasy football episodes, because we're going to be giving advice. We're going to be giving, you know, a lot of insight. And so you want to get to that before your league mates do. You want to get to it before everybody else gets to it. So hit notifications on top of the subscribe. That way you get both. That way you don't miss an episode. All right, guys, that's it. Again, my name is Neil Maligno. This is the Rival Fantasy Sports Podcast, and we are out. Oh, 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 o